Every Jeopardy episode starts the same way, with the legendary Johnny Gilbert introducing the contestants. As a contestant, first and foremost, your reason for being there is, of course, to win. Other than that introduction at the very top, listing your name, profession, and where you're from, you get right into the game. Jeopardy's format is crisp, it's succinct, and it goes by very quickly. Opportunities to show off your personality on stage 10 are scant, and that's often why contestants agonize so much about the dreaded interview that comes after the first commercial break. You've got just a few seconds to tell the host and the whole country who you are and what you're about. It's a process with a lot of prep work, lots of long questionnaires trying to wring out the most interesting things about you, but in the end, all the prep work comes down to just like 30 seconds on stage. Regardless of how you decide to present yourself, sometimes how the public reacts or responds to you, it's just not what you expect. And you don't really know how it's all going to go down, how people will see you, until your game airs. For many of us contestants, Jeopardy! is more than just a game. It's an incredibly vulnerable moment when you show yourself to the whole world. And what that's like? Well, it can lead you to feelings and experiences you might never have imagined. For some, being on TV comes with a range of anxieties, but generally, it turns out to be much better than expected. Being on the show has just become a really fun party story to tell people. For others, appearing on Jeopardy! is an entirely different experience. They're catapulted into the public eye, and sometimes that scrutiny isn't what they anticipated. Making it to Jeopardy! is one of the ways that's publicly rewarded in a mainstream way. Instead of having life remind you that you're a weird egghead. I'm your host, Buzzy Cohen, and from Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV, this is Jeopardy! the story of America's favorite quiz show. This week, we delve into the perspectives of three contestants who went on Jeopardy, including yours truly, and we explore what it means to have the eyes of the country upon you. I'm Sam Buttrey, I'm 61 years old. I was the champion of the professor's tournament on Jeopardy! in 2021, and I came third in the 2022 Jeopardy! Tournament of Champions. When Sam Buttrey first got the call to be on Jeopardy!, he wasn't sure it was for real. My wife and I were actually on vacation in, I think it was Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. So sun and tequila and fun, and I got a call from a woman who not only wanted to invite me on Jeopardy!, but wanted my social security number right then and there to start the paperwork. And it sounded a lot like a scam. When the contestant coordinator finally convinced him, yes, this is for real, Sam was thrilled. After getting the call, he got to prepping. Sam is a professor of operations research at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. And the professor's tournament was the first time in Jeopardy! history 15 professors from a range of colleges and universities across the country had come together to compete. The professor's tournament aired in December of 2021. It was comfort food for millions of Americans facing a long winter of COVID spikes and holiday stress. 
From the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is the Jeopardy! Professor's Tournament. Here are today's contestants. An assistant professor of U.S. and African-American history at the University of Colorado, Ashley Lawrence Sanders. An associate professor of writing studies at Hofstra University in Hempstead, New York, Lisa Dresner. And an associate professor of operations research at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California, Sam Buttery. And now... Sam won the inaugural Professor's Tournament, bringing $100,000 back with him to Monterey. But he really made a splash the year after that, when he came back for the 2022 Tournament of Champions. When those TOC games started airing, Sam quickly became a fan favorite. Not just for his solid gameplay, but the flair with which he delivered his responses. So... Uh, the voguing moment arose in a category in which we were naming dances, apparently. I don't remember all the details. Well, lucky for us, we can roll back tape anytime we want. New York drag competitions called balls were the birthplace of this stylized dance that Madonna brought to the mainstream. Sam. What is Vogue? Yes, would you care to Vogue? <laughs> yes, I would, but <laughs> later after the show. Who knew a nerdy white guy could actually know something about drag culture? I mean... Sam should be out of his depth here, but somehow his stage presence was just charming. Fast forward to later in the game. Sam, you might think I've forgotten, but earlier in the show, you promised to Vogue for us. Would you care to demonstrate your, your drag ball technique? You know, I've changed my mind. I'm going to floss now, Ken. He is one wild and crazy guy. Yeah. <laughs> really? Are we doing that, Ken? <laughs> now, conversely, I don't really know how to floss either, but at least I had seen it done by the well-known backpack kid. So I broke out the best moves I had, and I'm glad that people took it in the spirit in which it was offered. You know, I don't think backpack kid has anything to worry about in terms of competition. The Sam Buttry viral moments, they kept coming. Here's just a few games later in that same Tournament of Champions. This feline not only got freaky deaky with Tyga, she also told us to get into it, yeah. So we did, yeah. Sam. Who's Doja Cat? Yeah, you're a fan, I can tell. I knew that I wasn't supposed to know that as an old guy. Um, and I think there's sort of the incongruity of the old guy knowing who Doja Cat is. I'd, I'd heard of her, but it also helped, of course, that in, in the Jeopardy style, the clue had... Uh, some keyword like feline or something that I was able to decipher. When that game aired, social media exploded. Doja Cat fans were celebrating the world over, showing their approval with tweets like, Sam's a kitten, Stan Sam, and Sam goaded for real. I think it's fun to be in a niche area of fame where if you're knowledgeable, there was a time when I was kind of a big deal to this very, very narrow group of uh, very serious Jeopardy fans. But at the same time, I could go about my business and not be bothered. In contrast to somebody like Steve Martin, who I suspect when he goes for lunch, people stop him and ask to shake his hand and what have you. Oh, yeah. In case you haven't seen any of Sam's shows, he looks a lot like Steve Martin. So much so that after Sam won the professor's tournament, Steve Martin himself tweeted, so great to split the prize money with Sam about his Jeopardy doppelganger. 
Maybe it was the combination of these things that Sam knew stuff people didn't expect him to. Maybe it was being a celebrity lookalike. Whatever it was, the internet loved Sam Buttrey. And when fans discovered that Sam wrote his own original songs available on SoundCloud, they went absolutely crazy. Oh, when you get to be the big five oh like me, you're filled with wisdom and maturity. And there's another side of life that you're ready to see. You get to have a colonoscopy, colonoscopy, colonoscopy. Let's all get one or maybe two or three colonoscopy, colonoscopy. See, Sam Buttrey fandom goes deep. And a love of Sam kind of brings out the good in all of us. Like, when Sam competed against super champ Matt Amodio in the Tournament of Champions, the two should have considered each other fierce rivals. But instead, a friendship blossomed. Here's Matt. I think he is the most kindred spirit I had that I've ever experienced uh, in jeopardy of all of the wonderful, wonderful people I've met. We have some of the same uh, loves of wordplay, of corny jokes, of puns, and we're making each other laugh. To Sam, it all felt great, even if it couldn't last forever. There were times as my, uh, if I can call it fame, as my fame was tailing off, that I found myself checking Reddit to see if anybody had said anything nice about me recently, or Facebook, or what have you. But ultimately... All of that was kind of the perfect amount of attention. I was happy to ride the wave while there was a wave, and I'm pretty happy for the wave to be gone as well. A beloved, nerdy professor had charmed the Jeopardy fan world, going viral several times over. Like a hot air balloon, Sam's Jeopardy fame rose higher and higher before eventually he gently floated back down to Earth and his normal life though he did appear again on Jeopardy for the Masters Tournament earlier this year. Sometimes, Jeopardy fame can be unexpectedly bonkers like that. But for others, the mere thought of going on your favorite quiz show, of having the eyes of the nation upon you, it gets complicated quickly, even if it is a lifelong goal. That's after the break. Stay with us. We hear from so many interesting people on this podcast about their love for learning. What if you could learn from the world's best, all in one place? You can with Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best for just $10 a month. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. Confidently navigate the media with the influential, intellectual Noam Chomsky. Use science to solve your problems with Bill Nye. Or learn from the past with Pulitzer Prize-winning historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. I personally enjoy James Clear's class that is helping me build smarter habits to help tackle daily challenges. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com jeopardy. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Jeopardy. Masterclass.com slash Jeopardy. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. 
When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. I was obsessed with Jeopardy as a kid. Chicago Jeopardy aired at 3.30 in the afternoon, and I wouldn't get home from school in time to watch it. So I would stay home, quote unquote, sick from school so that I could watch Alex. That's Corinne Purifoy. My pronouns are she, they, and I was on Jeopardy in the summer of 2019. When Corinne got the call, they didn't just feel excited. They were hit with a range of emotions. My thoughts went from extreme excitement to excitement tinged with fear. I'm a tall, black, femme-leaning, non-binary person with glasses and wavy dreadlocks. And I was very scared that one of those things or many of those things would be used against me and that I would be the laughingstock of Twitter and... For a moment, I almost thought of not going on the show just so that I wouldn't be giving people ammunition to use against me. 2019 might not sound like that long ago, but remember in Jeopardy history, this is before LGBTQIA plus super champs Amy Schneider and Matea Roach had graced the stage. The thought that I would be so visible to everyone. I would be in everyone's household. Yeah, that was really scary. I did talk a little with a couple of friends and with my sibling who is also non-binary. And a lot of them had the same advice for me to just do what made me comfortable. The thing that was most complicated about this that Corinne was out and proud long before they stepped on the Alex Trebek stage. I'm not generally someone who likes to hide the fact that they're queer or likes to hide the fact that they're non-binary. If you look on my social media, I post memes and jokes about it all the time. But this was the most exposure they'd ever encounter. The biggest platform Corinne would ever step onto. Jeopardy averages 10.4 million viewers a show. Whoever you are as a contestant, you've got to be prepared for a lot of attention. So when they were getting ready to go on the show, Corinne made a decision. I kind of told myself that I was going to just wear a dress, wear a cardigan, where whatever would make me look the most femme, not have them use they as my pronouns. And I really went back and forth with, do I go on and be my authentic self or 
do I not risk having swaths of the internet come after me? There's a dark side to the exposure that comes with being on national TV. It's something many contestants have experienced. The internet, we all know how terrible it can be. And being on Jeopardy doesn't make you an exception to the ruthlessness of what people who don't even know you will say about you. I know this firsthand. You can still look up the Twitter account at ScrewBuzzyCohen. Hasn't been active for a while, but it is still there. I've had my share of haters on the internet, but also I'm a straight cisgender white guy. And the things trolls have said about me since I went on Jeopardy, well, they're just not as targeted. They're not as tinged with underlying or outright racism, sexism, homophobia, or all the other kinds of hate human beings can dream up. Back to Corinne, who had plenty of reasons to be leery. There's a precedent for social media backlash against Jeopardy! contestants, and quite a few have really been put through the ringer. But Corinne loved Jeopardy!, and like the rest of us contestants, this was their dream, so they did as much emotional preparation as they could. I just tried to hype myself up like this was a dream that I was fulfilling. This was something that I had wanted for years and I wasn't going to let strangers on the internet ruin that for me. Finally going on the show, Corinne's biggest worry? My biggest fear was that being Black, we're kind of seen as being representative of our entire race. And I didn't want to perform badly and then have people think, well, this is why there aren't that many Black people on Jeopardy. When the day came, she put aside her fears and put on her game face. Stepping onto that stage and stepping behind the lectern, I kind of entered this dissociated state of just If I know it, I know it. And if I don't, it's too late now. So I'm just going to have fun with it. It almost felt like resignation, but in a positive way. This is Jeopardy! Let's meet today's contestant. A fiber artist from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Corinne Purifoy. An attorney from Levittown, Pennsylvania, Michelle Brock. And our returning champion... I had so much fun. That was the best day of my life. We're going to give you a mashup of two popular musical groups, and you name them both in new musical supergroups. Supergroup 600. Smashing Blowfish. Corinne. (laughs) What are Smashing Pumpkins and Hootie and the Blowfish? Correct. At the end of the game... Corinne came in second to Jason Zuffernary, who was on game number three of what would end up being a 19-game streak. Let's go to Corinne. She had 14,200, and her response was along the same lines as yours and is incorrect also, and it costs her 8,100. That drops her to 6,100 and takes us to Jason, our champion. He's looking. She didn't humiliate herself, and although she didn't get final jeopardy, She actually didn't get a single clue wrong leading up to that. Corinne had held her own. And when her game finally aired, she got together with friends for a watch party. We went to a local pizza place 
and they showed it on all of the TVs. It was crazy watching everybody, you know, cheer when I got questions right and boo when other people got questions right. Yeah, it was it was probably the second best day of my life. But back at home, away from the warmth of the glowing TV screens and the support of their friends, Corinne decided it was time to face what they feared the most. Their game had just been seen by millions of viewers. They could not hide anymore. They turned to that sometimes black hole of social media and started to scroll and read and scroll. And something funny happened. There wasn't vitriol. In fact, quite the opposite. I noticed that um, a lot of Black people were cheering for me and kind of doing the whole, oh, that's our baby. She did so well. I'm so proud of her. Um, And that that felt really good to know that, like, I hadn't let my people down. (laughs) I completely blacked out during my interview. I couldn't have told you what I was talking about. But apparently I told Alex about how I used to do Haitian and Brazilian folkloric drumming. Corinne Purifoy is from Wisconsin, and this young lady for a year played in a Haitian and Brazilian folkloric drum and dance troupe. Those two don't seem to coincide, Haitian and Brazilian. I would think they are a little different, no? They were more closely tied than you think, and they both had a really deep tradition, an oral tradition of passing down their music, so we we ended up taking rhythms from the entire Caribbean and South America. Sounds like a fun thing to be a part of. It was. Yeah. I remember some people talking about how I was schooling Alex and everybody else watching Jeopardy on the diaspora and how proud they were that I was there to educate everybody on our culture. It was a moment of celebration and Corinne felt so proud of herself. But later, while she was still processing it all, she began to realize how much easier it was to celebrate this one part of herself over another. It was easier to say, yes, I am here as a Black Jeopardy contestant than it was to say, I'm here as a queer contestant or I'm here as a non-binary contestant. And, you know, a few years later, now we've had contestants like Matea Roach and Amy Schneider who have come on and blazed the trail for trans and non-binary contestants. And... I know things would have been different if I had been on today. But back then, I just, I didn't, I didn't have that representation yet. Even today, Corinne has complicated feelings about how they represented themselves to the country. I do wish I had, you know, put on like a small pride pin on my cardigan or something like that just to show in some small way, not even for everyone, but for other queer people, other non-binary people, other trans people that, you know, we're out here, that this is a space for them. 
It's not simply a positive or negative experience. The aftermath of being on Jeopardy contains multitudes, just like Corinne does. The regret of not showing who they are, not showing off their full complexity, that's also mixed with a feeling of pride that they did this. You just have to have a love of learning and a love of tiny, useless details, and you can make it on the show. A love of tiny, useless details? That is indeed what binds us all. Three years after Corinne's game aired, they were sitting at home back in Milwaukee, watching Jeopardy, when a familiar face appeared on screen. From the Alex Rebecca stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Jeopardy's Second Chance, brought to you by Moderna. Here is our next group of Second Chance contestants. A chart caller, writer, and editor from Chicago, Illinois, Rowan Ward. A sport- Corinne was actually friends with Rowan Ward before either of them was on Jeopardy. The two were active in trivia circles, and this wasn't Rowan's first time on Jeopardy either. As you just heard, this was the second chance tournament. Rowan Ward is a chart caller, writer, and editor from Chicago, who in their first Jeopardy appearance battled no less than Madame Odio, had him in their sights going into final Jeopardy. Now, you finished in third place. What did you do with your winnings? Well, I had $1,000, and I had actually, before going on Jeopardy, told my close friends to call me Rowan. I was under another name on the show, but I'm non-binary. I wanted a name that fitted me. So what I did with the money is I used it to pay for my name change filing, and now I'm back on Jeopardy with a second chance as my true self. That's fantastic. Welcome back. Thank you. Seeing them on that stage and seeing them be their true self and dominate was just beyond my wildest dreams for them. It has me a little verklempt (laughs) because seeing someone who is in the same boat as you really succeed at something lets you know that it's possible and I'm just so proud of them. There's one more thing that's hit Corinne unexpectedly in the wake of their Jeopardy appearance. There are a few Facebook groups of um, Jeopardy alums that we all just kind of flock together and friend each other on Facebook We barely even talk about the show. Honestly, it's just we talk about our personal lives and um, what's going on in the world. It's just the most supportive group of people that come together over just the chance that we've all been on the same TV show. At first, I thought it was just going to be... I get up, get on a plane, go on the show, and then that's it. And 
now I know I've met some of my best friends through this show. And I have a community of people that I belong to and that I will belong to for years. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Growing up in Short Hills, New Jersey, I was a Jeopardy fan long before the possibility of being on the show had ever crossed my mind. As a kid, I was endlessly curious about the world around me. He had a really uh, good attention span for a child. He just kind of could find things and pull them out. That's my mom. I'm Amy Cohen. I am a fan of Jeopardy, and I'm also Buzzy Cohen's mother. A few weeks ago, my mom sat down with one of my producers to talk about raising me. And in case you are wondering, I actually wasn't present for this, and I learned a few things listening back to it later. My mom had noticed early on that I had a penchant for facts and figures, and I was really good at memorizing things. She remembers one time when I was in elementary school, I got called into the principal's office. My principal's name was Dr. Harlan Clark, and as soon as my mom walked in the door, Dr. Clark pointed at me, and my mom braced herself for the worst. He said that Buzzy's going to recite the presidents in order. You know, Washington went through the whole thing. And the principal said, uh, okay, now do it backwards. He did it, like without even skipping a beat. And um, the principal gives him a little blue card, and it said, you're a winner, and that was really the beginning of me realizing that he he liked facts and trivia and stuff like that. By the way, Dr. Clark was known for keeping a stack of those cards either on him or on his desk. And at Deerfield Elementary in 1991, that card was like the biggest compliment a student could get. Very interested in information. When he decided to get into something, he got into it hard and deep. That's my dad. When he heard my mom was getting interviewed, the FOMO set in, and he needed to jump on the mic, too. My name is Marvin Cohen, and first and foremost, I was a Jeopardy watcher for got to be 30 years. And, of course, uh, our son is Buzzy Cohen. Those early childhood years, they were pretty uncomplicated ones for me and my family. I was hitting all the hallmarks of a very happy, 
normal leave-it-to-beaver childhood until I turned 13. He went away to sleepaway camp, and we got a call from the director telling us that Buzzy was depressed and that he was really low and that, you know, we shouldn't ignore it. I went to sleepaway camp at a camp called Mackinac. My days consisted of water skiing, climbing, bike riding, arts and crafts. There was a wood shop, archery, and it was the 90s, so there was also roller hockey. It's hard to remember that summer, my first really big bout of depression. But for my mom, that was the first moment she really noticed something big was happening with me. I think we were monitoring it and not allowing it to overtake everyone's life, including his. You know, could we have done a better job? Maybe, I don't know. On top of that, I was also growing up, going through puberty and learning to manage all of these new emotions. It's not the most comfortable thing to try to remember the most difficult times of my life. Keep in mind, as I mentioned, this was the 90s, and there wasn't much national discussion, if any, about mental health, let alone depression. My parents didn't really have the language to talk about all of this, but they did what they could, and they really went above and beyond. They took me to a few specialists, and I started seeing a therapist as needed, and little by little, I learned to recognize the patterns of my depression. It would come on like a wave, washing into me, and I would lose my balance. What I learned about myself is that if I thrashed around against it, I would exhaust myself and run out of air, going deeper into the depression. But if I let the wave wash over me, eventually it would pass and I would float back up again. When I was 15, I went to a sailing camp, and that's when my mom remembers a big turning point. He lived on a boat for two weeks, and he came home, and he was, like, so much better head-wise. He was, like, being in the salt water, being in the sun, hanging out there for two weeks, really, I felt no pain. And I think it was, like, the first time he realized that there could be moments of no pain which made me feel bad because I didn't realize he was in so much pain all the time. Looking back on those years, they still weigh pretty heavy on my parents. I was really scared for him and, and you know, for, for where these problems were leading him. But he did hold it all together really very well. And uh, I was very proud of him. I'm always proud of him. In 2016, I got the call to be on Jeopardy. To any outsider, looking at me and my life, it seemed like I was doing pretty well. I was married, my wife and I had had our first kid, and I was holding down a steady job. Now I was about to take stage 10 and appear on my all-time favorite TV show, something I'd been dreaming about my whole life. But in that moment, all I wanted to do was disappear. I was mired in one of the most depressive periods of my life. It seemed like there was no end to it and no way out. A couple days before I taped my first Jeopardy game, I turned 31. My best friend Bo took me out to dinner for my birthday. We went to a steakhouse in Santa Monica. I can't even remember what I ate or even if I touched my food. Halfway through the meal, I said I was sorry, but I had to go home. I just, I couldn't make it through the dinner. Look, I know people are often shocked that that was my mindset at the time I went on Jeopardy. 
Later on, Alex dubbed me Mr. Personality because I had a tendency to be cheeky and a little witty on stage. I was poking fun at myself and him. I was doing funny little intros. To most viewers, it looked like I was having the time of my life, and I was. But in that period, I was constantly struggling with a little voice inside me that told me I wasn't worth a thing. It was like living with a filter that colored everything, a heaviness that preceded anything that happened to me. And this was one of the lowest points of my life. My family could see how much I was struggling. My wife and my parents really wanted to help me, but they just weren't sure how. As a father, all you can do is hope that they can talk to you and open up to you. And uh, he did. And he told us how he felt. And we, you know, tried to do everything we could to help him. When I was on the show, even through the fog of my depression, I recognized how special the experience was. This is Jeopardy! Today's contestants are a music executive from Los Angeles, California, Leslie Cohen. A garden designer from Blacksburg, Virginia, Gene Roper. And our returning champion, an assistant professor from Amherst, Ohio, Andrew Powell, whose six-day cash winnings total $170,202. And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Prevec. Here I am in my very first game. This stop-motion film from Ardman Animations concerns a band of barnyard fowl making an escape. Buzzy. What is Chicken Run? Yes. Chicken Soup 800. My wife Alicia was working a demanding full-time job, but she made sure that she took time off to attend my tape days. And I remember looking out into the audience and seeing her sitting there with my sister and brother-in-law and seeing them really made me smile. After that first game, I kept going. Buzzy, as you just heard, won big yesterday. Can he win big again today against Stephanie and Jerry? Let's start finding out. Here comes the Jeopardy round. For a brief moment, at my lowest point, Jeopardy gave me something concrete to hold on to. Taking us to Buzzy Cohen, he had 9,400. Did he come up with the correct response? He did. His wager, a lot, 7,001. He is in the lead by $1, and Jerry is not looking happy because he was... Germinal. Oh, it's too bad. Where will you finish? You'll finish with 13,999 in second place, but Buzzy Cohen, you're a two-day champ now with $50,002. Well done. Good game, players. Thank you so much. My mom remembers the impact Jeopardy had on my psyche. Just to walk on that stage, I think all of the heaviness of what was happening in his real life. Kind of like being an actor, you know? You can walk into, onto a stage and all of a sudden you're somebody else. Sure, it was partially escapism, but it was also the shock of seeing and interacting with Alex, the host I'd grown up watching, someone I really trusted. Well, at least we have Buzzy Cohen. And I've been <laughs> meaning to ask you, Buzzy, you weren't christened Buzzy. No, I was not. It was the nickname that I had... Um, in the womb uh, that stuck, but my, my legal name is actually Austin, and I was named after Steve Austin, the $6 million man. Talking to Alex in the flesh was like an affirmation. 
that I was good at something, and more importantly, that I was going to be okay. My sister's name is Lindsay, like Lindsay, Lindsay Wagner, Wagner, bionic woman. So we always joke that if we had been born a decade earlier, we would have been Spock and Uhura. <laughs> <laughs> Who's booking these people? Alex has a, a way of, at least for Buzzy, of a connection of you're okay. You're okay. You're here. That's pretty good. Just being there, you're okay. And so, you know, he began to work on himself during that time. You know, when you come out of the hole uh, and you see life, it's good. I gathered during that deep time, it just, you don't, you can't see this light. You can't breathe. You can't do that. And so um, Jeopardy kept flashing lights at him. My feeling is that that's what it did for him. It just kept flashing. We're here. It's here. It's here. You know? Being on Jeopardy that first time rejuvenated me. But in the aftermath of my run, I was still struggling. The ebullient person I was on stage was not who I was off stage. And in the days and weeks after taping, I was left with this empty feeling. I thought I had reached possibly the end of my Jeopardy experience. And as far as I knew, I'd never get to step on that stage again. But when I found out I was going to get to compete on the Tournament of Champions, I had something new to work toward. See, that little voice that tells you you're not good enough, it can be incredibly destructive, but it can also be incredibly motivating. As I walked off this stage yesterday, I came to a conclusion that I want to run by all of you, and I hope you agree. Of all of the tournaments we have done on Jeopardy, this year's Tournament of Champions has been the most fun. We've laughed, we've had some good times. It's almost as if the money isn't important, but it is. Now with these scores here at the end of uh, the first round, I don't think Buzzy Allen and Austin are going to exceed the minimum guarantees of 50, 100, and $250,000. But hey, it ain't chump change. Good luck, let's go to work. Let me make something clear. It's not like going on Jeopardy cured my depression. Far from it. Mental health is still a constant ebb and flow and something I'm dealing with for the rest of my life with the help of medication, therapy, all kinds of things. But it's more like entering into something so unequivocally positive for me helped me break the back of the depression so I could do the work. And I still had to do the work and I got help. But Jeopardy provided the initial relief I so desperately needed. It allowed me to take over. Jeopardy was like the lifeline that helped me save myself. Next time on This Is Jeopardy, the story of America's favorite quiz show. My mom's aunt, so my great aunt B, she was a Jeopardy fan. Oh yeah, you were not allowed to call her on the phone from 7 to 7.30. Couldn't call. Or she wouldn't answer the phone, you know. No, she would scold you. This is Jeopardy! The Story of America's Favorite Quiz Show is a production of Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV. It's hosted by me, Buzzy Cohen. This episode was produced by Mia Warren. The series producers are Julia Doyle, Rob Dozier, Sylvie Lubau, and Mia Warren. Associate producer is Serena Chow. Our series editor is Sarah Kramer. 
Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, Sarah Kramer, Michael Davies, and Suzanne Preddy. Production management help from Susanya Davenport and Tamika Balance-Kolosny. Our theme song was composed by Hannes Brown. Cedric Wilson is our engineer. Special thanks to Charlie Yetter and Steve Ackerman. And a big, big thank you to the Jeopardy staff and crew for all of their time and help on this. Shout out to Alexa Machia. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>